May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning and thank you. I am proud to be back at St. Anne's again. Um, back in 1997, this parish was instrumental uh, in founding Epiphany, as Peter described, a, a tuition-free Episcopal school for economically disadvantaged children and children who have been abused and neglected. Peter was the first board president and the rector at the time, uh, uh, Mark Hollingsworth, was a great help along with David Urian and many of you played critical roles. 20 years later, the results are amazing. Dozens of new schools have opened, inspired by our model. Hundreds and hundreds of children have been helped. But back then, we had nothing to go on but faith. Nothing but the common call we heard to follow God's word as best we could. I know that Epiphany is only one of the many ministries connected with St. Anne's. God bless you. Thank you for your inspiring example. And thank you for the chance to be with you today to reflect on, well, reflect on these rather uh, ominous uh, scripture readings uh, that promise that we will perish like those crushed under a collapsing tower of stone unless we repent. Christians say Merry Christmas and Happy Easter, um, but no one says, you know, Merry Lent. <laughs> it's a season of humble self-reflection and mirroring Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. In thinking about humility, I was remembering my own personal experience I had at the gym with a, a muscle-bound personal trainer trying to sell me on getting a fit 3D scan. If you've never had the pleasure, let me explain to you what this delightful little device does. First, you climb on board a little disc, and then it spins you around slowly while a, a laser slips up and down painlessly, up and down your body, making an exact 3D replica of the real you. This handsome hunk explained to me enthusiastically that many of his clients have unrealistic body images. And this charming little machine strips that all away. I was appalled. <laughs> I explained to my friend with a 5% body fat that I already knew that I had an unrealistic body image. I also think I'm smarter than I am, kinder, more generous. This web of self-deception is precious and dear to me. <laughs> it may be the only reason I can get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I did not get that scan. But on the other hand, I do believe that God scans me inside and out. But that's different because I know that God really loves me. A student arrived at Epiphany a few years ago, I'll call him Juan, and when he arrived at our school, um, he had been previously placed in a program that was really one step short of prison. 
He was way behind academically. Juan's behavior was horrible. Predictably, his transition to our school was rough. But at Epiphany, we never give up on a child. Um, at Epiphany, however, we expect students to take responsibility for their actions. And behaving in class was just not something that Juan wanted to do. In his first months at school, he was out of class more than he was in class. His attendance was a serious issue as well. And at our school, if a student is missing and we can't reach his parents, then I drive to their home. You can imagine folks are surprised to find us ringing their doorbells. And more than once, I found Juan and his mother still in bed. And she made it very clear to me that she did not appreciate me coming up to her house like that. <laughs> Things were not off to a good start. Anyway, fast forward to a year later in Juan's life, and he was missing from school again. But this time, his mother had taken the initiative to call. She made an, in an innocent mistake with the school's calendar. Uh, she thought there was no school, and by the time she'd realized her mistake, he'd missed his bus. Could I please come and pick him up? Of course, I was happy to do it and happy that she'd called. How much, how much my relationship with her had changed. Thank God her love for Juan enabled her to stick it out with us at Epiphany. She'd started volunteering in the kitchen. She'd signed up to finish her GED. I couldn't be more proud, and as I was running out to pick up Juan, I, I ran into his math teacher and asked, he asked where I was going, and I explained I was going to get Juan. Oh, no, said the teacher. He's going to miss my math class. Now, I know that every good teacher thinks that his class is the most important thing in the world, but Juan's absence couldn't be that earth-shattering. At Epiphany... Kids, listen up. Uh, we have school for 12 hours a day, 11 months a year. So surely he could catch up on his work later in the day. No, says his teacher, that's not it. I'm handing back, back the math exams this morning, and I wanted to announce that Juan got the highest grade in the class. How is that possible? How did Juan go from being so far behind to so far ahead? I could talk about the curriculum and things, but behind it all is God, working through Juan's loving mother, through Juan's teachers, through his friends and mentors, and through Juan himself. The world may have looked at Juan as a worthless fig tree just taking up space, another little hoodlum in the making, but God saw a beloved child. Today's psalm was written by a beloved child of God, maybe King David when he was a young man fleeing the wrath of King Saul, or maybe when his own son Absalom was leading a violent insurrection against him. In any case, though things were tough, the psalmist does not feel abandoned by God. He praises God. He knows God's love is steadfast, never changing. He knows that he's held in God's hand. This reassuring excerpt from Psalm 63 pairs well with the gospel and the epistle, which are both rather a bit menacing. In St. Paul, um, he uses a rather strained, at least I think a rather strained comparison between the history of Israel 
and the life of the early church to make some important points. He reminds us that no testing has overtaken us that is not common to all. In other words, you and I are not alone. Everyone in this room and everyone in the world carries heavy burdens. And like the psalmist, Paul reminds us that God is faithful, that we can find our rest in God, that we can lay down our burdens with the Lord. But Paul's message is not just reassuring. He also reminds us to beware, not to be complacent or self-satisfied. If you think you're standing, he says, be careful you don't fall. Also, while you and I may see in the history of Israel example after example of God's faithfulness, despite the people's repeated failures from the golden calf to their complaints about manna, St. Paul also reminds us that God struck down many of them, that 23,000 died in a single day. Now, this kind of violent, murderous vision of an apparently angry and wrathful God described by Paul lines up at least superficially with this story from Luke. The owner of the vineyard, you remember, wants to chop down his unproductive fig tree. And I think we all suspect that we are that fig tree. We may want to take comfort in the compassion of the gardener who wants to give that poor little tree a second chance, but surely you noticed that the gardener only bought the tree one year to get its act together? Right? The gardener will dig around it and put manure on it, but if it still bears no fruit, it will be chopped down. Forgive the pun, but that little tree is not out of the woods. <laughs> Personally, I believe these violent images of vengeance and wrath can be misleading theologically. We're tempted by the all-too-human drive for violence, but our God is a loving God who watches over the sparrow who numbers the hairs on your head. Jesus himself said we should forgive 70 times seven times. The psalmist is right. Great is God's faithfulness, and morning by morning new mercies I see. But this does not mean that Paul and the Gospel of Luke are wrong. If I stick my hand in the fire, I am going to get burned. If I decide to worship the golden calf, I am in for disappointment. If I look down my nose at Juan and his mother, if I puff out my chest with pride, then it should be no surprise at all when I fall. Actions have consequences. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Our lives, what we do, has meaning. What we do matters. Our souls are precious to God. The atheist may say we come from nowhere and we end nowhere and when we die, we rot. But Christians, however, take a different view. We believe we came from God and we return to God. It is to our souls that we should attend with all due humility. We can listen to the psalmist who delights in the feast God spreads before us. The psalmist actually tastes God, communes with God, drinks in God. And we have a chance to do that too, right here, right now, when we humble ourselves, when we confess our sins known and unknown. We are no longer like the fig tree about to face the axe, but we are like, we're like prodigal children. 
being welcomed home by a loving father. Epiphany's commitment to never give up on a child is built upon the baptismal covenant to seek and serve Christ in all persons. And that means not just the kids, but also the parents, the teachers, and the volunteers. Never giving up teaches us grown-ups, too. For example, a few years ago, one of our students started showing up late. Unable to reach her, I again interrupted my important day to go drive and look for her. And I could usually find her a few blocks away walking to school. And I would bark at her, why are you late? You know when school starts. What's the matter with you? She, in turn, would just shut down and hang her head in silence. After a couple of weeks of this, however, I learned that her mother had lost her housing. And this little girl was taking two buses and a train and a walk to get to school. Thank God that we don't kick kids out of our school. If I had given that little girl the boot, I would never have had the humiliating experience of learning how wrong I was. I rushed to apologize, of course, and thank goodness she did forgive me. So often the problem in life is not with someone else, but it's with me, with my anger, with my pride. And Lent is a time to humble myself, to attend to the unsavory parts of myself, but not to mortify myself, not to cut the tree down, but to grow. I know that every child only gets one childhood, and I want to make it a good one. Just as children only get one childhood, so you and I only get this one life. God does not ever, God does not ever want to cause us pain. We do enough of that to ourselves. Bad things happen to good and innocent people all the time. The Tower of Siloam fell not because the people it crushed were worse than any others. Lent is a time for us to remember that God knows us and loves us. Lent is a time to strip away whatever it is that gets between us and God. So at Easter we can bear good fruit, worthy and pleasing to God. God is not giving up on Juan or on you or on me. So friends, let us not be too proud to face the truth, even if we don't want to have a 3D fit scan. Amen.